Dear God, God, do you remember uh, when I was younger? I used to sneak upstairs and put as many socks as I possibly could on both of my feet so that way my mother wouldn't hear me dancing with you. God, I, I love dancing with you. It was just us. It was me and your baby girl. It was us against the world, and there was nothing I think I would ever trade that for. Unfortunately, I think I did that thing that adults call maturing. And sure, I'd like to think that I grew up, but what I know is that there came a moment when I was standing in front of my mirror and I realized I didn't like what I could see. Lord, we gotta talk. You invented this thing called acne. And what that means is that at certain times of the week, I get a pimple that grows just to the left side of my nostril and makes me look like a bit of a lopsided unicorn. Lord, we need to talk about this. And we could if I still danced with you. God, I miss dancing with you. I miss when we would all of a sudden show up and save these superheroes and defeat these supervillains. And sure, I listened to Taylor Swift and Nickelback. But look, I swear, my music tastes have improved. Lord, I thank you for the fact that despite that, you loved me anyway. God, you loved me when I hated myself. You still had this desire to call me wealthy. You loved me anyway. When you asked to redeem me, when you came up with this grand scheme to steam the enemies and his plans and his demands for my soul except for me to be made whole again, you had to watch as your son had holes in his hands, but you, you loved me anyway. So I will use that as an example. I know that if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not love, I am only the resounding gong or clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge. And if I have faith that can say to a mountain, move, but I do not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, Go over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love. I have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part, and we prophesy, in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we only see a reflection is in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now, I in part, then I shall know fully, even though, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, 
faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Wow, what a morning of worship. Thank you, choir, and thank you, Egypt. Egypt uh, will be back with us at Youth Explosion. She will be part of the ministry that is taking place on November 9th through 11th, right here in this church for about 100 or 1,000 uh, young people. So they'll be coming together and enjoying various artists as they minister, and, e- and Egypt will be doing that. So will be praying for her. She'll be out at the Youth Explosion table afterwards. If you'd like to stop out and speak with her, if you'd like to find out maybe how you can volunteer for Youth Explosion, if you'd like to maybe um, offer your finances to sponsor a young person that's going to Youth Explosion, that would be great also. Or maybe you, uh, uh, maybe you want to get registered. Early registration ends today for Youth Explosion. So I encourage you, that's coming up here in just, just a little over a month. And uh, every year it comes around, and every year, you know, I think I said... Um, a few weeks ago, as we started this series, there were 7.58 billion people in the world. I think half of them are here for Youth Explosion. So, so we need you. We need you here. We need, we need you to come and help us and enjoy this uh, time together. Uh, great ministry of the church. And so it's great to be here and great to hear that 1 Corinthians 13 read that, uh, of course, penned by the Apostle Paul. And when we think of Paul, we normally don't think of someone who's... Um, channeling his, his inner three-dog night, you know, just an old-fashioned love song, <laughs> one I'm sure he wrote for you and me. And uh, I know anyone over 40 just went, what? <laughs> we, see, we see Paul as this theologian, of, this man of doctrine, this man who uh, could write at times, it almost seems some harsh words of instruction and challenging people. But yet, it dropped in the middle of Corinthians. We see this beautiful writing of the love of God. And it shouldn't surprise us. Because as we've been studying, and Paul knew this very well, he knew that all the knowledge in the world was worthless. In fact, he says in there, if I have all the knowledge with no love, I'm nothing. No matter what gifts and talents I may have, I don't have love, I'm nothing. And as you, as you follow this story throughout the scripture of a God who loves us, you've got to come to the same conclusion. We see God's love from beginning to end. We started three weeks ago in, in this simple ingredient series that we're doing and trying to boil down the Christian faith somehow into four words. And the first word was creation. And we talked about how God made man in his image. And through that, he poured out his love to us. This holy God, this just God, pours out love to us. I love 1 John chapter 4. Someday when you want to get a chance, maybe this afternoon, you ought to pull that out and read. It's a a beautiful, I was going to call it a summary of God's love, but it's so much more than a summary. (laughs) It is this this magnificent piece written by John of of God's love, and in there twice, 1 John 4, 8 and 1 John 4, 16, he says, God is love. Not that God invented love, not that God even created love. God is love. It's who he is, and it comes through through the creation. It comes through when he created man in his own image. God's love for us. His nature is revealed through us 
and to us. And then that second word came along. God loves us so much and he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to enter into covenant with us. He desires a relationship with you and with with me because he loves us. He desires a relationship with all of mankind because he loves those who have been created in his image. Even when we don't keep our end up, even when we fail. Yesterday, we had membership class. It's always great to, to, to sit around and talk a little bit with people who might be interested in being a member at French Church. We went through history and we do all the things that we normally do, but at the end we come to this, we come to this membership, what we call covenant. And, and those who sign the papers and say, yeah, I'd like to be a member of French Church, enter into this covenant and they say, as a member, I make these certain agreements. I, I, will, I will do these certain things. And it's a covenant that they make. But then the church also has a covenant. In turn, we say there are certain responsibilities we will take on. But we know that's a, that's a human to human, a man to man, a woman to woman, woman to man, uh, whatever covenant. You know, it's, it's, it's one that can be broken, just like a marriage covenant can be broken. God cannot break his covenant even though we may. I love 1 John 4.10. It says it's not that we love God, but it's that God loved us. He first loved us in our sin. When we were walking away, when we were rejecting him, he loves us. And then because of that, because he loves us so much, he sent his son, as Pastor Eric talked about last week, in redemption to bring salvation to us. We could not keep the covenant. We could not be good enough. We could make sacrifices day after day, week after week, year after year. It wouldn't be enough. God demonstrated his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And John says it this way in 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his only, one and only son into the world so that we could live through him. So we have creation and we have covenant and we have redemption. And today that brings us to the end when God promises to make it all right again, and it's what we're calling completion. It's kind of after redemption, what happens? After you give your life to the Lord, what happens? What now? I always remember those, I don't know if they do it much anymore, but they used to have those little commercials that, you know, the quarterback running off after winning the Super Bowl. They'd ask him, hey, Tom Brady, you just won the Super Bowl, what are you going to do? I'm going to go to Disney World. (laughs) Okay, you just gave your life to Christ. What are you going to do? I don't know. (laughs) What do you do after you've given your life to Christ? What do you do after after you've, you've had your sins taken away? When you say, yes, when Jesus made a sacrifice of his life, he made it for me. What are you going to do? The good news is God does not leave us at redemption. God does not leave us there. That's wonderful. But there's more. There's more. And it's what we're calling completion. Today, I want to quickly just look at one phrase that was out of that passage from from 1 Corinthians. It's it's this. It begins in verse 8. It says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. 
For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completion comes, what is in part disappears. As we, as we noted, Paul, I think he, 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 he was giving out all this love stuff. Love is, love is, love is, love is. And he couldn't help but getting a little bit of doctrine in here. <laughs> and so he says, he says, but wait a minute. I want you to understand something. All of these things that we, that we put our faith in, or that we, that we think is important, our knowledge and our talents and everything, you know. He says, those are temporary. Those are going to pass away. That Those aren't eternal. When you're thinking about completeness, don't even think about those things. Because when completeness comes... Love is really going to be all that's going to matter. Love is going to remain. The rest of those are going to be gone. And, and, and this scripture, this, this uh, doctrine that Paul's talking about, this theology, some people will argue about when this completeness is. Was it then? Was it now? Will it be? And all those type of things. And it's all, I can, all I want to say this morning is Paul was telling his folks, the readers here at Corinthians, that, that we're not done yet and you have something to look forward to. And I want to tell us this morning, God's not done with us as individuals. He's not done with us as a church. He's not done with his people across the world that call him Lord and Savior. We have something to look forward to. Something is coming personally. Something is coming corporately. God's not done. And he stresses this when he writes his letter to the church of Philippi. I love this verse, one of my favorite verses, chapter 1, verse 6 of the Philippians. He says this, he says, I am sure of this, that he, and if you've been reading the first five verses, you don't have no question who he is, he's God, God started, who started a good work in you, will carry it on until one, completion. God will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. What's next? We get to work. Or better said, God gets to work. God gets to work. Um, you know my, if you've been here, you know my days and past over days of an accountant and, and I would deal with many companies and different types of companies. And one thing that most companies are concerned about is inventory control. Now, inventory is those goods that you, well, you produce or you sell, and you, you, to, you probably know what I mean if you go into a car dealership, and you say, show me your inventory. They take you out, and they say, look at all those beautiful, shiny new cars, right? If you go into Walmart, you say, show me your inventory. They'll say, look at all this stuff on the shelves, you know, and it's, and it's nicely packaged, and it's, and it's pretty, and it's got a little price tag on it. But if you go to a manufacturer and say, show me your inventory, you're going to see a wide range of items. A manufacturer has really three types of inventory, and the first one's raw material. It's the raw, it's the coiled steel that comes in, the brass, the copper, the wood, the, the, the plastic resin, um, even the rice or something like that that goes into food products. It's the raw material that comes in. And, and we're kind of like this, this at the beginning. When God starts a work in us, we're really raw material. Really? Yeah, we're, we're, we're people that, that really need to be worked on. We, we come as we are, not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. Not even close to what you see at Walmart when you walk in. Not even close to that car that's come off the assembly line looking mighty fine. 
We're just a bunch of steel and iron and other products. But God looks at that raw material. He looks at how we are when we come to him. And he sees us not as we are, but he sees us as we can be. And he says, I'm sure of this. I'm sure this God who started the work in you, the God who sees that raw material, can make a finished good that glorifies him. The finished goods is at the opposite end. It's the, it's the product that comes out. It's usually been inspected. It's been packaged. It's been, it's been painted. It's, you know, it looks nice. Because the, the customer is expecting something that looks good. They're expecting something useful. They're expecting something with no flaws. They're expecting something perfect. But in between is what we call whip, work in process. And work in process can take a while. It can take a long time in some cases. Work in process can become painful as the hammer of the forge beats down, as the saw cuts, as the laser burns. Work in process can be painful. We are a work in process. You, if you've given your life to Christ, you're a work in process. Some of you and some of us may be more of the raw material end of it. (laughs) But some may be more closer to that finished goods. But most of us are somewhere in between. And God is working on us. And Paul says a few things here. He says, first of all, I am sure. I am sure. I am confident. Paul is writing this from prison, most likely from a Roman prison, near the end of his life, very possibly. He has seen God work. He has seen God change lives. He has seen God um, do miraculous works. And he says, I can tell you this. I know. I am confident. God is good. God is true to his word. God will not start something he does not finish. God will not start something he doesn't finish. Then he says, then he, says he who starts, he who, he who takes the raw material and starts working on it. When we come to God and, and he starts his work in us as we've been forgiven of our sins and starts to make us more like him, he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't say, see you later. See you in 20 or 30 years when you die. <laughs> No, he begins to work on us, and he begins to take the raw material, and he begins to make it more beautiful, more useful, day by day. Then it says, he will carry it on. Some versions may say, or actually mean, I'm making you perfect. But what he's doing is he's making us more and more perfect, more and more useful, more and more good, more and more holy. It's a maturing process. Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now I got, I'm guessing we just haven't, and no one's reached quite that much of a finished good yet. (laughs) where you're perfect. We're still work in process, but it's a goal, it's a challenge. And so God works on us, and he works on us through his scriptures. 2 Timothy, when, when, when um, Paul's writing to Timothy, and there in chapter three, he says, I'm giving your scriptures, they're God-breathed, and I'm giving you to them for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, 
so that the, the man of God could be equipped for every good work. We take the scriptures and we say, God, speak to me, change me, so that we could be complete, and God is the ultimate closer. <laughs> uh, he does, no blown saves in God's universe. <laughs> when he closes, he closes. In fact, I love Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. It says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He will finish the job that he's done, that he's started. God closes the deal. He perfects us. He paints us. He inspects us. He makes us more and more like him when we submit to him until, it keeps going on until the day of Christ Jesus. And there in Philippians 1, 6 again. Until the day of Christ Jesus, when Jesus returns, don't stop. Don't stop working. Don't stop growing. Don't stop letting God work on us. We're all work in process. We're not just work in process as individuals. This, this passage was written to a, a church. And imagine this, he's saying to the church, I'm sure of this, that he started a good work in you, church. We'll, we'll keep it on, we'll carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love what Randy Alcorn says in his book, Heaven, a great book if you ever want to read more on, on heaven. But he says this, a Christ-centered church is not a showcase for saints but a hospital for sinners. We've probably heard that before. We've probably heard all oh, the church is, a, is not for saints, it's for, or, uh, not just a hospital, for, or you know what I mean. It's not, it's not just a showcase for saints, but a hospital for sinners. Got to slow down just a little bit, right? Okay. But I love what he adds here. A Christ-centered church. Not every church. And unfortunately, maybe you've been to some where you said, yeah, that seems to me more like a bunch of museum a museum for some saints and nothing's really happening. He says a Christ-centered church, a Christ-centered church is not a showcase for saints, but a hospital for sinners. You know why I like this? If you've been around, you've seen the vision that we've set as a vision of French Church here. Our vision is that we would be a Christ-centered community changing our world. We're Christ-centered, we're not perfect. A Christ-centered church welcomes the sinners welcomes those who are struggling. Do you notice when you walk down the hall here and you see how we measure where we are in Christianity and in our walk with Christ, there's four chairs and not one. <laughs> there's just not one chair. We've been saved and we're all perfect and we're sitting in that perfect chair. No, there's four chairs because we all come where we are, where God has us today, where God is working on us. God continues to work and he continues to work and he continues to work. Philippians 1, 9, 1, 9 through 11, Paul goes on a little more and describes what this is like. He says, this is my prayer for you, that your love, again, your love, Paul's talking about your love when he's talking about perfection, when he's talking about getting stronger, when he's talking about being molded into, into the, the image of, of God. He says, your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So you may be able to discern what is the best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The same language as verse 6. Filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ 
to the glory and praise of God. What he's saying is your love needs to abound. You need to grow, continue to let God work on you. And it starts with him making you more lovely and loving to others. What he's saying is you need to take 1 Corinthians 13 and not say that's just for people getting married. 1 Corinthians 13 was not meant just to be something we read at a wedding. 1 Corinthians 13 is something to be lived out day by day, moment by moment. As a community... As a community of God's people, as God is working on us, bringing us to completion, are we patient with each other? Are we kind to each other? Do we envy? Do we boast? Are we proud? Do we honor each other? Are we self-seeking? Are we easily angered? Do we keep record of wrongs? Do we delight in evil? Do we rejoice in truth? God is always working on us. If he, if, let me tell you this. If, if God is not constantly working on you, I would say you're either perfect. You want to raise your hand? <laughs> or you're not letting him do it. If God's not working on you, you're either perfect or you are not letting him do it. Even pastors, even pastors. A couple weeks ago, I was to attend a meeting. And it was going to be a couple-day meeting. And I was really looking forward to it because I wasn't very happy with some of the leaders who were leading the meeting. And I wanted, I'm just thinking, yeah, you know how you think through what you're going to say? I, and, and the thing is, I knew I had the moral high ground. At least I thought I had the moral high ground here. So I'm thinking, I'm on the moral high ground. These crumb bums who lead this committee, it's not here at the church. It's not here at the church. <laughs> These crumb bums who lead this committee, they, they've done wrong, and I'm going to tell them that, and I'm going to tell them they're all going to spend life, eternity in hell if they don't repent, you know? And not, it wasn't quite that bad, but... <laughs> But I had it in my mind, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm ready to go, and I'm, and I'm pumped up, and the blood pressure's going, and, and then in spending some of my quiet time, and time in prayer, and time in discipleship, I, and I kid you not, you say, do you ever hear the voice of God? I didn't hear a, a tangible voice, but what I heard was as loud and as clear as a tangible voice. And here's what God said to me. He says, you enjoy being ticked off, don't you? (laughs) Those are God's words, not mine. (laughs) You enjoy it, don't you? God's working. I knew the next things I would hear would not be That's nice. (laughs) Yeah. I've also learned that you don't lie to God. You don't get anywhere with that. Who, me? (laughs) Uh, You know, Lord, you may be right. I do enjoy it a little bit. And then he reminded me of a sermon that was preached from this platform by Pastor Jim College, one day, not too long ago, when he talked about honoring people, honoring those in authority. And God started working on me. And it was going well until the second day. (laughs) 
when someone brought up something directly related to the issue that I was up in arms about. And they said something I didn't quite agree with. And it was like that door had been kicked open. And I was, you, you know, I know this isn't a very good example, but you know when you throw up, sometimes you feel it coming? <laughs> I could feel the words coming. I could, I could feel them coming. And somehow, somehow God took that holy clamp, of the, clamp in the sky and clamped my mouth shut. <laughs> and, and it was tough. It was tough to sit there and hear that and not respond to it. God says, no, no, don't do that. Honor. And then I was so proud of what I did. <laughs> and then I read, uh, whoa, uh, do not boast and you're not proud. God, you're just taking your hammer and your chisel and you're, you're working on me. That's the way God works on us, right? That's what he does. He works on us and he works in us. He goes on in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. It's God. In fact, John, 1 John 4, tells us if we love one another, God lives in us. And if we acknowledge, in verse, in verse 15, if we acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, God lives in us. That's his Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit of God. The third person of the Trinity working in our lives, day by day, moment by moment. Work in process. Honing us. Strengthening us. To will and to work according to his purpose. God wants to change not only what I do, but how I, how I think, my desires. Paul said in Acts 20, 24, that his life was worth nothing to him. I just want to finish the race and complete the task that God has for me. But just when we think it's over, when we think we've made it, it's still not over. In fact, it was famous baseball player and manager Yogi Berra who said those great words, it's never over, or actually it ain't over until it's over, right? It ain't over till it's over. It's like a sermon. You hear, um, what's those words we hear? In closing. Have you ever heard one of those sermons that you've heard in closing six times? <laughs> and it goes on and on and on, and you're sitting in your pew, you're going, when is this thing ever going to end? <laughs> it's not over till it's over, folks. It's not over till it's over. One day, though, God will say, it's over. One day, God will claim it's over and everything will be right. We don't talk a lot about the end times. I think we're all, we don't talk about end times many, a lot because we have a hard enough time living in today. You know, we have a hard enough time in our living a victorious Christian life now by now, not worrying about what's going to happen. But God says one day it's going to be over. It's going to be over. In fact, Hebrews 9, 27 through 28 says, Just as people were destined once to die, and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We all die. People die. Christ died. And there's a finality to death. 
At least that's what we think. It's not over. In fact, uh, to paraphrase Yogi Berra, it's not over till God says it's over. And one day, one day, you know, we're not, we won't be, maybe those of us when we die or when Christ comes, we won't be complete. But we're work in process. To aiming to that goal. Trying to do everything that God has called us to do. Christ will come again, not as a sacrifice for, for sin, but as a savior. Pastor Eric talked to us last week about how the, the priest would offer s- sacrifices again and again every year into the Holy of Holies. Hebrews tells us that Jesus has taken care of all of that. He's gone into the presence of the Heavenly Father to intercede for us once and for all. It's done. And one day, he's coming again. One day, one day, everything changes and God will make it all right again. He comes to take the sins of many. In the end of the book, wraps it all up. It tells a little bit and gives us just a picture of what it's going to be like. A picture of what we're going to see when God says, complete, done, it is finished. Revelation 21 reads like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done, finished, complete. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. I do not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamp is its light lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of earth will bring splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. God will call an end. Make everything right again. You know, there's, interesting, there's two Greek words that are typically used for the word new. The, the first Greek word is one like brand spanking new. You've never seen it before. Totally, a total new thing. That's not the word that John uses here. 
The word that John uses for, for new means, means new in quality, refreshed, refurbished, new and improved. You look at it and say, oh, I know what that is. I've seen it before. Oh, but what did you do to it? That's what God is going to do one day to those who have called on him, to those written in the book, Lance, Book of Life. It's going to be refreshed, renewed, a new heaven and a new earth. You know, man, we were never meant to live in heaven. We talk a lot about heaven. But man was created to live on earth. And so what God is doing is he's making all things right again by bringing back what was good and precious and refreshing. You go on to read, it says that in this new earth, in this new heaven, is a tree of life, just like the Garden of Eden. We return from where we started, to live in the presence of God. In fact, it says there in Revelations, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The gates of Eden are open, and we all enter.
That's the end. That's how it ends. We enjoy life together in the presence of God every day. We're not floating around on clouds with wings. We're, we're enjoying life in His presence. But you know, it's those whose names are written in the book of life. Last week we gave you a chance to respond, and many of you did here at the altar. But as we pray today, if you want to come and you said, wow, I need, I need to make sure my name is written in this book. I, I encourage you to come again. Come today. If you didn't come last week, come this week. Make sure that your name is there. Or maybe you just say, I just, God's working on me and I've been a little stubborn. I know how that is. <laughs> maybe you want to come pray. But as we pray and if you want to come, we'll pray with you. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this word. Thank you for your scriptures that teach us, that correct us, that train us, that guide us, Lord, so that we can do the good works that you've called us to do. Lord, thank you for not just saving us and leaving us on our own, but for giving your Holy Spirit to live in us, to, to Lord, um, fill us. Lord, help us that we might be used by you. Help us that we might be matured, perfected, changed, so that one day when we see you, Lord, we can stand with the same kind of confidence that Paul has. I am sure, I know, I am confident that God who started the work in me will keep it up and will finish it on that day. Be with us, Lord, as we go. Be with us as we serve. Be with us, Lord, as we share this love which you shared for us to the whole world. May they know that God is working in us every moment, every day as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as you go today, there are three things you can do. One, go visit the Youth Explosion Table in Egypt and those that are there. Also, uh, next week, we have our Hispanic conference, our, our Latin American uh, pastors conference. It's come up. It starts Thursday. Few volunteers still could use. There's a table out there to stop at. Thanks so much for all your help, for all the housing. Over 200 from Guatemala, Peru, Bolivia, all over, all over, just going to be here. We're excited. Mexico and all over the U.S. as our Hispanic pastors come together in conference. And then also, don't forget, in two weeks, a business meeting to, uh, to um, hopefully approve our new governance structure. And at Geff Services, you can find those documents if you want to pick up one of those. So go, and however you want to serve, 
however you want to be involved, uh, do it. But let God continue to work on you. Let him change you and let him make you into someone to do good works, good service for him. Go in the peace and love of Jesus Christ. You're dismissed.